Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. And the strategy of temptation is to deceive us and then trap us. Satan's design is to, to trick us into being attracted to it, and then once we are attracted to it, he snares us and we're trapped. And so verse 16 of chapter 1 is kind of a transitional statement. James says, don't be deceived. He says, talking about this temptation, don't be deceived. You know, guard yourself against those things. So it serves as a, a bridge between the sermon from last week to the passage from this week. So instead of allowing uh, sin or temptation to trick us, and instead of allowing temptation to, to trap us, we are to recognize some truths. We can't say that God does this, but there are some things that God does. And that's where this passage serves as a bridge. And as we look at this passage today, in James chapter 1, 16 through 18, we're going to have three truths that I want you to grasp. Now, originally, I was going to preach 13 through 18 in one passage, in one sermon, but I just got to looking at it and just saw there was so much meat in there, I wanted to break it down into two sermons. So uh, that just extends the series a little longer, okay? But it's still all God's Word that we're going to preach. That's what we're all about, amen? We're all about preaching God's Word and hopefully trying to live by God's Word. So notice what, it, as we look at this passage, we'll look at it under the heading, Practical teaching about God. And James will give us three truths about God. Listen to what James says. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The first thing we need to see is that everything good comes from God. Everything good comes from God. Instead of those individuals that, that are buying in the temptation, saying that God is tempting me to do evil, uh, and they are being deceived about the practical realities of God. God can't do that. It is against his nature to do anything bad. Look at what he says in verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. So James is saying, in contrast to the individual who states, God is tempting me, James says, no, God doesn't do that. Instead, God does good things. He gives good gifts. He doesn't tempt you to do evil. He only wants you to do well, and everything good comes from God. That's hard for us to grasp. It's hard for us to understand that everything good that happens comes from God. For instance, if my Texas Rangers wins the World Series this year, is that from God? Probably not. Only God does perform miracles. So, so maybe it will be from God, okay? Uh, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. Or if the Cowboys win the Super Bowl, that would really be a miracle. It had to be a God thing, right? That's not what he's talking about here. Uh, that's not what he's trying to emphasize. So what is the emphasis? If we were to go throughout Scripture, uh, we would see numerous evidence of this. Uh, we go all the way to Genesis chapter 1, and we see that God created the earth, and God said it is good. As a matter of fact, He said it is very good. So in spite of what the world says, God's creation is good. It's very good. We also know in Scripture that God causes the rain and the sun to shine on the good as well as the wicked, as well as the evil. And God's good. God's sun is good. God's rain is good. 
It all comes from God. We, we know there's other things in there that some people might say, say, well, you know, I, I'm able to make my wealth because of my own ability. Well, according to the Bible, according to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, it is the Lord, our God, who gives us our health so we can produce wealth. That's what God's Word says. Uh, God's Word says that government is good. I know that's hard to believe in this current environment that we live in. But God says government is good. It is there to dispense justice and, and, and to do those things. It's there to protect us. Even a bad government is better than no government. God created, He ordained it, so government is good. We also know that God places within the church gifts he gifts every individual to go out and serve in the community, to serve the world in which they live, and to serve in the church. And we also know that God gives to the church gifted individuals that are there to equip the church for every good work. Everything that comes from God, even life itself, comes from God. You would not be here today. You would not breathing if it was not for God who bestowed life into you. The Bible says, before you were born, God knew you. Before your skeletal system was born, God knew you. And listen, listen, regardless of what Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, and all those states say, before you had a heartbeat, God knew you. God knew you. It all comes from God. Life itself comes from God. I've heard somebody say that if the devil had his way, he'd break your neck before breakfast and you'd be in hell before you had your first cup of coffee. If the devil had his way, that's what he would do for you. But God didn't do that. God said, I've given you life. But we must remember, if every good gift comes from God, why is there so much problems in the world? Why do we have so much difficulty? It's because man can pervert what God intended for good. Let me give you some examples. Uh, we have this incredible technology a scientific breakthrough that we can take an atom and we can split it in half. And from that atom, we can get nuclear power. And from that nuclear power, we can, we can give electricity to an entire city. I think about 150,000 people. We can provide electricity to about 150,000 people. I may be wrong, but I think that's right. Um, that's incredible. But we can also take that same atom and split it and make an atomic bomb to eradicate millions. Now, is nuclear energy good? Yes. Can nuclear energy be perverted? Yes. Let's take this thing uh, called sex. Y'all know what that is, right? Okay. I asked that at the first service just to make sure. Sex. God has created this thing called sex. It is good within the confines that God ordained it to happen. It is good. God says it's God's gift to man. God's gift to woman. However, when you take sex and you use it outside the realm of God's standards, guess what? It becomes a perversion. You are perverting the original intention that God created sex. Let's look at medical technology. Medical technology, God has given us an incredible, incredible medical technology and the skill that when a woman has a miscarriage, miscarriage, or she has a, a child that dies in the womb, God has given us the ability with modern technology to alleviate that problem in a woman, to extract that child from the womb that has been dead, or to perform a procedure to clear out uh, the woman's uh, parts. Is that a good thing? 
Yes, it is. That's God's good gift. But when man takes God's gift of medical technology and uses it to go against the original intention, it is a perversion of what God has intended. So when we use modern technology that God has given us and we use it to destroy life, it is a perversion of God's intention. It's a good process. We just use it for the wrong reason. You see what I'm saying? God gives good gifts, but man perverts what God gives. The problem is not with God. The problem is with man. Why is it? Because man is sinful. Man is sinful. And we're only in it for ourselves or, can I say, to make a buck. Whatever. There's a great illustration of this in, in, that, uh, in, the, in the original Jurassic Park. I, I know some of you may not know what I'm talking about. The original Jurassic Park... Uh, and in that, in that show, the, the scientists are arguing about should they, you know, about how they make dinosaurs from the DNA, old DNA. And they're debating back and forth. And then Dr. Ian, Ian, uh, Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum, makes this statement. He says, scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. You didn't know you could get theology from Jurassic Park, did you? <laughs> There's a lot of things that we can do, but we never stop and say, God, should we do it? You see, that's the difference in it. God is the giver of all good things, but man can pervert it, and that's another story another time. Not only does everything good come from God, but God does not change. Look at verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly light. So this is a difficult phrase because it's only used here in the Bible. There's no, so we don't have any cross-references that we can look it up. But immediately, it ought to take you back to Genesis chapter 1. As we go back to Genesis chapter 1, you remember what it says. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Later in the creation account, it said, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And it was so. God made two great lights, the great light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. Now here, James says that God is the father of the heavenly lights. He made, those, he made the moon. He made the stars. He, he made the sun. And here's the thing I want you to understand. Long before those stars, long before the moon, long before uh, the, the sun ever existed, God was. He was here before they were existed, and He will be here long after they are gone. And James wants us to understand God does not change. He's not like the lights. He's not like those things. You, know, you go out at night and you look at the stars and they twinkle, twinkle, little star. Oh, how I wonder what you are. Up ahead, up in the sky. So I can't remember it anyway. You know what it is. And you, and, and you lay on the ground and you see them blinking. Did you know that today that we can, we can lay on the grass and look and we can still see lights from exploding stars? Here's what James is trying to say. As you look at the changing of the stars, God does not change. He does not change like the lights. He does not change like that. But not only does he say he's the father of the heavenly lights, he said who does not change like shifting shadows. Again, this is a phrase not used anywhere else. 
Most people say it probably is talking about the eclipse that happened over the sun and over the moon periodically. They come and they change things from that. But I think we can be more specific than that. When, a, when the sun shines on a tall building, the shadow does not stay in the same place. It moves. You know that if you're walking. Depending on the time of the day, the, sun's either in, the shadow's either in front of you or the shadow's behind you. It depends on, on where you're at in relation to the sun. And what James is saying is that unlike a shadow that shifts and changes, God doesn't change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. He does not change change. Now, from our perspective, everything around us changes. You know, day becomes night, night becomes day. The seasons change. You know, in Texas, we actually had four seasons. When I was in Illinois, we had two. We had winter and construction. Winter and construction, that's all we had. Uh, you know, we actually have four seasons here. It's called Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You know, stick around. It'll change, all right? We, we have that. You know, some people, music styles change. Do they not? I know some people don't want music styles to change, but they do change. It's the way things are. You know, uh, uh, clothes change. And, you know, styles of clothes change. Now, I don't think there's too many of you in here. Maybe Bob Bellflower, maybe Ron, maybe, maybe uh, John has a few. But if you have a leisure suit stuck in the back of your closet, okay, just hang on to it. It's going to come back in style, okay? <laughs> just hang on to it. And then you'll be, you'll be right there. Everybody says, man, where did you get that? Oh, I bought that in the 70s. All right. You know, you'll be okay. They're going to come back in style. We live in a changing society, do we not? Everything is changing all around us. You know, if you don't like yourself, change. If you don't like your job, change. If you don't like your spouse, change. If you don't like your church, change. If you don't like your God, change. I used to always say there's three things you can count on in life. You ready? This is, this is brilliant, brilliant. Write this down. Three things you can count on in life. Death, taxes, and change. But that might change. We live in a changing society. Everything is changing around us. So let me ask you a question. Are you struggling in life? Are you struggling trying to figure things out? Trying to figure out where, where you fit in the world? What's your niche? Are you going through some difficult times? Listen, God does not change. He's the same. Today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Don't be deceived. And think it's coming from God. It's not. God does not change. Not only do we see that God does not change, but God is the giver of life. Look at verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Now, some believe that James is talking about physical life in this passage. It is true. God is a giver of life, we know that. But I don't think that's what he's talking about here. What he's talking about, because of the phrase, the word of truth, he's talking about spiritual life. He's talking about God is the giver of spiritual life. Now stop and think about that for a moment. Isn't that really the best gift? Because it's only in spiritual life that we truly understand what God has created us for. It's only in that that we can really have that relationship with our Heavenly Father that He created us to have. That's the greater gift. But without the new birth, do we really have life as God intended it? 
If we haven't been spiritually born again, as the Bible talks about, if we haven't spiritually embraced Jesus Christ as our life, then are we really experiencing life to the fullest? Jesus said he came to give life and give life to the fullest. So he says he's the giver of life. But I want you to notice three things about this life. He says, first, the the gift of life was planned. Notice what he says in verse 18. He chose to give us birth. So he chose to give us new life. He chose to give us a birth. In other words, he chose to give. It's a gift. It's not earned. It's not deserved. You don't merit it. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. There's nothing you can do to get it. It's simply because of his generosity and his goodness that he gives this gift. Paul calls this gift, it's the gift of God, is eternal life. And because it's a gift, it comes from God. There's nothing you can do about it. And God chose to give you this life, this birth. Not only is it the gift of life was planned, but we see the gift has a process. Notice what he says. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. How does this new birth happen? The word of truth is the gospel. It comes about because of the gospel. He communicates the gospel. You hear the gospel. You receive the gospel. That's the process by which it happens. God has predetermined that the process by which people would be saved was through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, You shall know the truth, and the truth, what? Shall set you free or make you free. Elsewhere, Jesus said, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus, who is what? The way, the truth, and the life. So he says he's chosen the process that you become saved is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came. Paul put it this way. That Jesus Christ was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. So before God created the heavenly lights, before God created the sun, before God created the moon, God had already predetermined in his mind, I'm going to save the world through my son, Jesus Christ. That is the process by which people will be saved. They will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they will be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the process. Not only is it planned, not only is it a process, but it has a purpose. Notice the last part of this verse. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The key here is the word first fruits. This is important to an agricultural society. In those days, you know, they were, they were agricultural. I mean, they lived and, and died by the way they could produce food. You know, uh, they couldn't go on the internet and order HEB and deliver it to their house. That didn't happen, okay? Uh, so what they would do is they'd plant their crops, and then about late spring or early summer, they'd get the first head of the crop, a grain or whatever it was. And that was to them... That was evidence that they're going to have a good crop and that God was promising them there'll be a later harvest in the late spring or late summer or early fall, they get the full harvest. This was the first fruits of a promised greater fruit. And you know what they did with that first fruit? They didn't eat it. They took it and they sacrificed it to God. They said, we give this to God because we are trusting that God is going to provide additional harvest in the future. He says he's, he's, that, he's that one who gives the first fruits. 
So what was the, what was the purpose of being the first fruits in this passage? For the first century believer, they understood we are the first fruits of the harvest. But God is promising more. God is promising more. We're not going to be alone. We're not the last generation. Instead, we are the first generation of many generations to come. Those first century Christians were the first fruits. We here in the 21st century, we are the other fruit. But guess what? We apply that terminology today. We in the 21st century may be the first fruits of what? A guaranteed of a future fruit. This is what we're trying to to grasp as we deal with this passage. That's the purpose of the first fruits. It applies to us. It's never been the purpose of the new birth for us to bask in the glory of our heavenly home. I know some of you are a lot closer to it than others. But the fact of the matter is, if you know Jesus Christ, you can leave today and be in your eternal home. But it's not God's intent for us to just sit back and and marvel at our heavenly home. We can do that. It's okay to look forward to your heavenly home, but that's not the purpose. Jesus Christ did not come just to give us a relationship, but so that we might be used by Him to proclaim the message to what? To the next generation. To the next generation. And maybe not the next generation of genealogically or age-wise, but the next generation to hear the gospel. Listen, you know, uh, you know I, could, I could lead somebody to Christ at 75. He would still be my child in God. He'd still be a spiritual son. And if he led somebody to Christ, there would be a grandson and, and, and grandchildren after that and great-grandchildren. You see how it works? We're not talking about age here. We're talking about, we're talking about eternity. Eternity. It's not talking about, you know, Fathers reaching their children. Yes, that's in there, but it's also reaching others. If that was not God's intent for first fruits, then the moment you were saved, God would have raptured you right then. He said, okay, you're saved. Now I'm going to pull you out of earth to protect you from everything going around. No. Instead, what did he do? He saved you. You know what he did? And he put you right smack dab in the middle of the people to do what? To be a witness for him. He didn't pull you out. He left you here to shine the light on Jesus Christ. What is it that Jesus said? Oh, look at it. Look, look. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of harvest that he send forth workers into the harvest field. What we forget is that we're right smack dab in the middle of the harvest. Right smack dab. We're supposed to be out there sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're just the first fruits of God's promise that there will be more. That's why what we do here at Western Heights, and I know it's hard for some people to get their brain around this. It's hard for people to understand this. That's why what we're trying to do at Western Heights is start a movement where we care more about the next generation than we do our own generation. I'm talking about spiritually. That we care more about those who have not responded to the gospel than we do for those who have already responded to the gospel. Because here's the reality, and I, I, I hate to bring this, that if people die today without Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity without Him. And the only people there is to blame is the church. Because we are the bearers of the gospel. 
We have one task. One task. To continue the line. Continue the line. So that others can come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I promise that you are the first fruits of more that will come. New life in Christ is the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And because we love God, and because we love people, we desire that all people share in this wonderful gift of life. So what's your response to what you've heard today? How would God challenge you in your own life? You know, I can't tell you what to do. I can't make that decision for you. Maybe for some of you, you said, you know, for the first time, I sh- you know, Pastor, I can't focus on the next fruits because I'm not in my first fruit. And maybe for you, it's to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can tell you what to do. For others, maybe say, you know, we'd like to be a part of this church because we want to be a part of the, of, the, of the gatherers. We want to be the ones out there working in the field so that people can be saved. Whatever decision God is going to ask you to do, I'm going to invite you to come. I'll be here at the front. The praise team is going to come and lead us in a closing song. I'll be here at the front. Maybe you need to pray with you. Maybe you need somebody to talk with you. I'll be here as the praise team leads. Would you stand? Join with me as I pray. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for this opportunity you've given to us to gather together. We pray, God, that your blessings on this time this morning, Father, that what we've heard this morning through the songs that were sang, Father, the prayers that were prayed, Father, the words that were, were proclaimed, that, Father, they will not go on deaf ears. You tell us, Lord, that your word will not come back void. That, Father, it will hit its mark. And, Father, it will accomplish what you've, called it, what you've sent it to do. Father, we pray that will be true today. Lord, we ask that you touch hearts this morning. We ask, Father, that we would consecrate ourselves to your service for your purpose.